Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I am Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As those of you who tune in regularly will know at this point, we release our podcasts in three different formats. We have our 10-minute lesson series where we pick a policy issue or a topic and we try to explain the key points within that sort of 8 to 15 minute time frame. We also have our interview series where we're very fortunate to be able to speak to a huge range of experts right the way across the policy spectrum on their area of expertise. And then we have our seminar series where we listen back to presentations we've had at past events. And this week it's one of those. We're staying on the theme of well-being and we're going to listen to Larry O'Connell, who's director of the National Economic and Social Council. He's also um, chief officer of the National Economic and Social Development Office and his colleague Anne-Marie McGowan, who's policy analyst with NESC and her work will generally focus on equality and social issues. They presented their paper, which was entitled Ireland's Wellbeing Journey, which was co-written with Helen Johnson, who's also senior policy analyst at NESC at our 2022 annual policy conference on the theme towards wellbeing for all. And all of the graphics, videos and papers for the conference can be accessed as well on our website, www.socialjustice.ie. We hope you enjoy. Okay, uh, our next paper comes from the National Economic and Social Council from Larry O'Connell and Anne-Marie McGoran. Uh, Larry is the director of NESC, as has been their senior economist since 2007. He's worked on a range of policy areas, including Ireland's transition to low carbon and digital future, housing and land, climate change and sustainable development, higher education funding and Ireland's five-part crisis. He previously worked in the National Centre for Partnership and Performance, Chagas, UCD, Waterford Institute of Technology. He's a degree in agricultural economics and completed his PhD at UCD on the internationalization of Irish business. Anne-Marie McGarn is policy analyst with NESC. Her work focuses on equality and social issues. In NESC, she has led the 2021 projects on digital inclusion and the rollout of the Community Call Initiative to support vulnerable people during COVID-19 lockdowns. In 2022, she led the project looking at how well-being policies are implemented internationally. She's currently working on NESC project on Ireland's economic resilience and vulnerability, looking at social vulnerability. And Marie was also co-author of NESC's important study in jobless households and its study on the future of Ireland's welfare state. So uh, the paper is coming from both our guests and I think uh, Larry is leading off. Um, thank you very much, Mick, um, for that uh, very nice in introduction. Uh, you said Sean nearly embarrassed you. Well, you were beginning to embarrass us with such a glowing <laughs> tribute, but thank you. Um, we're both, myself and Anne-Marie, are, are, are delighted to be here today. We, we wrote the paper for this uh, conference with uh, our colleague Helen Johnson, um, who's also on the call, I, I think. Um, we're really privileged to be here. I, I think it's a, it's a, a seminal event, a very important event in the Irish calendar every year to have this conference, one which we always uh, participate in. So it was really great to be asked today to, to, to give uh, one of the keynote speaker uh, papers for it. Uh, so thank you very much to, to Father Sean and, and the organisers for, for the invite. Our theme is that Ireland, uh, well, Ireland's journey, to, uh, is, a journey has taken place around well-being for Ireland. And it's, it's in a sense, it's, it's quite an interesting journey. Uh, it's a journey 
that we all kind of agree, I think, uh, has to happen because we feel we need a change. Uh, the final destination is probably um, being decided or at least not worked on. So that makes the journey interesting. We don't quite know where we're going to end up. And maybe to the annoyance of all of the children in the back, um, we still don't quite know if we're nearly there yet or not. <laughs> so we're going to try and talk you through what we feel is, is, is a very important uh, journey that's taking place. I, I think our, our core message um, is that this really is an important journey. And it's what it's trying to do is to think more comprehensively, more sustainably, and more robustly about what we what progress actually means in our economy and our society. Um, we argue in the paper that the journey uh, we point out you know, that the journey probably started maybe almost you know in two thousand and nine. Nested some early work in this. So at that stage, Social Justice Ireland also did some work on it. And we feel that that journey, you know, obviously it, it probably stalled somewhat with the financial crisis, but certainly with the programme for government, it, it, it restarted in earnest. What we try to argue in the paper is today, it feels somewhat like that we've developed a fairly high level, if you like, kind of searchlight that helps to guide us on this journey. But really, I think as the terrain gets a little bit rougher, and I think it always does when you start to get into the detail, then I think we feel that we need to move towards what we would argue is, is the capacity to have a spotlight to look at particular issues in more detail. And, and we'll, we'll talk you through that, that sort of process in, in the paper. So our five parts that we're going to, to work, walk through is why, why would you develop a, a wellbeing framework? What steps have been taken in Ireland? Thirdly, how would we then begin to think about, you know, how is it being embedded right into policy? And then how the, the how-to question of focusing in on vulnerabilities and equality. And finally, some brief thoughts about where to go next. So very briefly, just to start, um, I, I mean, why would you develop a well-being framework? Um, I, and I suppose that the, the, the core argument really is that there are limits to the current ways that we, we measure progress. And I think it's important the limits are both economic social and environmental. So when we think about the economics, as, as Father Sean said at, at the start, you know, the, the particular measures that we use, whether GDP or GNI star modified versions, of, which focus on, on, on value added within an economy, really they disconnect somewhat from the a, a citizens' a bit, a sense of their ability to actually their own economic well-being. And even when we look at things like actual individual consumption, it, it, it's just difficult to see, what, do those measures really replicate how people, if you like, the, the sense of money in your pocket and how far it goes? Secondly, there def there's definitely limits from a societal perspective. At a, at a general level, I do think that the issues, measurement of progress based on, on, on GDP, et cetera, really does not resonate with people's lived experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and thirdly, in terms of the environmental dimension, the measures don't really capture the value of our environmental assets, nor do they capture fully the, the, the destruction that happens linked to the current uh, GDP model. And particularly, I suppose, when we think about things like, you know, a statistic like that 90% of our protected hab habitats are actually in trouble in Ireland. Well, where does that show up in the current kind of accounting of, of progress in, in an Irish context? So what we feel is that 
the GDP doesn't really provide a sufficiently detailed picture of the living conditions that people experience. And it is not to say that issues like GDP, and, and they clearly have a role and they have an, an impact in certain spheres. What we really try to do here is to broaden beyond GDP to look at a more detailed um, set, set of measures. So in terms of when we, when we um, I suppose, think really about these, this measure based on GDP, I suppose our sense is, that it really sort of, it, it gives you a very flattened or one-dimensional sense of progress. But maybe the other issue, and, and I think it was very interesting to, to listen to the ambassador's comments, it can be that it, it creates a disconnect between the lived experience and if you like the policy experience, and that can get reflected in a sense, I suppose, in, in people not trusting that their experience they have doesn't resonate with what they think the policy system is trying to do for them. And therefore, trust is a critical measure metric. And it is very interesting in an Irish context, as you listen to the ambassador, I think trust is also high here. But where we are seeing issues around trust now is with younger generations having issues with their trust in government and trust within the system. And I think, therefore, that's another argument why we need this richer picture uh, in terms of what progress is and how it connects with people's lived experience. So when we look then at the different um, steps in terms of what are involved in developing a well-being approach, um, I suppose, I mean, the definition of a well-being approach, it, it's a multi-dimensional approach. It uses objective and subjective measures of current and future living, living conditions. The key message, though, as we looked at in detail, it, as I said at the start, it, it, it is still continuing to evolve. And I think the key message is that there is a need for a lot of learning by doing. And there is a need for that learning to be learning by doing in terms of working out what are the correct measures and refining them. That learning by doing really depends on very active participation and consultation with people who are actually impacted by policy. And that is the essence of the, the well-being approach is that, that everybody is impacted by policy. So at, at, at the ambition here is to give everybody a say in the shape of that policy. That, that's a seismic shift, but it is beginning. And I think we're, we're, that's what we need to see more of. So just in terms of the, 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 the different steps in it, I mean, there are this statement, when we looked at internationally at various uh, approaches to well-being, this slide sort of captures the main pieces. I, maybe I won't dwell on them too long, but there's the, a vision, as I said, public involvement. Often the work begins with a dashboard of indicators. It moves on towards trying to do things like performance reporting. We also saw that as well-being develops, and Anne-Marie will talk about this a bit more, you know, you see it becoming more formalized in terms of legislation and institutional structures applying it to budgeting, figuring out ways that it, it impacts on, on, on budgets and how they're set, and new ways of working in terms of getting people to work across government uh, in a less siloed approach. So for the, the next slide then, what we really then tried to look at, well, what steps have actually been taken in Ireland? As I said, I think there were some early steps in, in, in 09 that, in work that was done, and probably a lot of work then between that and, and, and the next phase of action in the Irish context a lot of work done within the OECD and in Ireland in the in the PPN networks in trying to think about well-being. But as I said, the real impetus came with the programme for government um, where um, there was a sense of, you know, it obviously there was a commitment to develop a well-being approach in Ireland. So this little uh, graphic just gives you a quick sense of where, where, where that work has, has gone. NESC was involved in, in 2020 on to try and build on this idea that it should be participative by going out and talking to experts and stakeholders 
and talking to, to citizens uh, through surveys to try to really see what, what, what could we, uh, how should we approach the wellbeing framework. There was strong support for the OECD as being a good starting point. And I know Carrie is on the call later and Carrie was very helpful to us here. And we, and we had a very good workshop with uh, Carrie, Carrie and her colleagues. So on, on foot of that work, the government then published its, its, its report on developing a wellbeing framework. Um, that led to work within the CSO on developing um, the uh, a dashboard of indicators, which, you know, that really got us out of the starting blocks because it allowed us to see what this would look like in practice. It then a lot of additional work has happened since within the Department of Taoiseach in terms of uh, consultation um, to identify with, with stakeholders and with citizens to really sort of develop this approach and to get further buy into it. And alongside that, a lot of additional research, including research that we've carried out here in Nest, that Anne-Marie will talk about, but also really interesting work within the Department of Finance and within the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform. And really what they're trying to look at is, is to just identify how you begin to move this forward. And as I said at the start, I think that's what we really need to do. And that's the journey that we're on. So I'm going to hand over to Anne-Marie now, who's just going to take you through some of that research. Okay, thanks very much, Larry, and great to see so many of you logged on this morning to find out more about wellbeing and wellbeing approaches in Ireland. So I'm just going to talk a bit about the report that I and my colleague Elaine uh, Kennedy worked on in NEST, looking at how wellbeing approaches have been embedded in policy in New Zealand, Wales and Scotland, because they're a bit further ahead of us. So there's different approaches used in the three countries. In New Zealand, there's a very strong focus on incorporating well-being into the national budget process. And the New Zealand Treasury has developed two well-being frameworks, the Living Standards Framework and a Maori uh, version of that framework, which unfortunately I can't pronounce, but maybe Gabriel McLeod later today will um talk about that. So the labour or the living standards framework there looks at individual and collective well-being. So for example, health, knowledge, family and friends. It looks also at institutions and governance. Um, it looks under that at society, firms and the government. And it looks at the general wealth of New Zealand, like its natural environment, its social cohesion, its financial um, situation and human capability. So basically, by looking at all of these things in the framework, they are able to draw information on these into decisions that are made on the budget. And they have also brought in legislation to help embed well-being objectives into the national budgeting process. And they've gone further than that to look at one group in particular, poverty of children. And again, they have requirements on each budget date that the government would report on uh, child poverty measures in the budget. Now, Wales has gone for a different approach. In 2015, it passed its Wellbeing of Future Generations Act to build on the Sustainable Development Goals and put sustainable development at the centre of decision making. So all public body in Wales are required to put this sustainable development at the centre of their decisions. They've developed a future generations framework for projects. And that's a kind of a set of questions that policymakers in public bodies ask themselves to think about how they can ensure that their services take sustainable development and future generations into account. And they have a number of kind of monitoring and reporting mechanisms. The Welsh Government publishes annual reports on progress towards meeting these objectives. 
And um, there is also a future generations commissioner who monitors progress and provides support. And Scotland has developed a national performance framework, and this sets out an overall vision for Scotland, and it's got 11 broad national outcomes that policy works towards. Increased well-being is one of these. They also brought in legislation in 2015 to require public bodies to take well-being approaches into account. Not all public bodies, but um, a large number of them. And their Auditor General is involved in monitoring the extent to which a well-being approach is embedded. So quite different approaches in the three countries. Um, so interesting for Ireland to learn from that. But really what we found in NESC is if you look at the approaches taken in these three countries and also in relation to some specific policy frameworks in Ireland, that there are four stages when you're embedding a well-being approach into how you make policy. So the first stage is to build shared consensus and understanding. And obviously there is something that starts off that process. Uh, we found that it's very important to have strong leadership to start off the process of looking at a well-being approach. And in fact, in a number of countries, there was uh, a politician, high-level politician, and a high-level public servant who were both interested in pushing forward this agenda. So that's important for leadership. And that comes from a desire to do things differently. For example, after the crash in New Zealand, you know, less focus on um, GDP, for example. And in Wales, international commitments under the Sustainable Development Goals helped kind of push forward their approach. And at that stage, there's a lot of consultation and building awareness about what well-being is. Um, and then you move on to design a workable framework. You know, once you've decided to adopt a well-being approach, what kind of framework do you need to embed that in policymaking? So in that stage, people agree national outcomes. They agree indicators to help us measure where we are now and where we're going. Um, there's a process of developing more evidence to help make decisions about wider well-being. So, for example, more environmental evidence and more evidence on people's lived experience. And in this stage, there's also provision of guidance for policymakers on how they can embed this approach in their work. Then the next stage, really, once you have the framework, is implanting that into policymaking. So as we've seen, there's different ways of doing this. Some countries use legislation, some use budget uh, processes to do that. Usually at this stage, supportive structures are set up to help this kind of embedding to happen. And there's also uh, monitoring and review. So that's done by different organisations, sometimes by parliament, sometimes by external bodies, sometimes by internal bodies. So then after you've had that stage of implanting, monitoring and reviewing, there's kind of a stage where the approach is deepened and integrated into more policy areas and more work. So in this stage, there would be application of well-being to subgroups like children in poverty, for example. There would be more work to integrate the outcomes that national and local organisations work towards and kind of more of a move towards saying, well, a well-being framework isn't just another framework but a kind of an overarching framework so it can replace other strategies and integrate them into them rather than being just another strategy, another framework that has to have attention paid to it. We found that each of these stages, the learning from these helps strengthen the other stages. And it takes time to embed a well-being approach. Um, it's challenging to develop good data as well. That was another finding that we found from looking at the different countries. And at all times, leadership, dialogue, resources and review are really important to help further the well-being framework through different stages. So just to think about, you know, what kind of impacts that these frameworks had. 
And I'm going to take an Irish example to show the kind of impacts that can be taken from a kind of well-being approach or well-being framework approach. Um, so just to think about the impact um, in Ireland, Better Outcomes, Brighter Futures, or BOBF, the National Policy Framework for Children and Young People, does take a, a very strong well-being approach. It has, you know, national outcomes to work towards for children and young people. It has a dashboard of indicators to measure progress. It has set up a number of structures um, for more collaboration. It has a number of review mechanisms. So what kind of impact has that had? So the reviews of BOBF have shown that one thing that's happened is through setting up formal high level structures for collaborative work, there's been much greater shared understanding and agreement on key issues, for example, on what you would prioritize to combat child poverty, for example. And those structures for collaborative work have been very important as well, because they are a way for um, NGOs on the ground to regularly link in with high level decision makers in government departments and agencies. And there's also a consultative structures set up with young people um, that are ongoing. And for example, a number of years ago, they said that they would like to see free public transport for younger people. And then in the budget, we since have had half price public transport for younger people. So you can see this direct link between the consultation with people on the ground into decision making. There's also been joint policy documents agreed, for example, on child obesity and how to tackle that through these processes. And there have been changes to specific welfare payments for children arriving, arising out of some of these discussions. So we can definitely see that these approaches do have an impact on the ground and hopefully we'll see more in future. So the work that Ness did looking at how well-being approaches had been embedded in other countries um, were used in the second Irish government report. And it has a number of recommendations on how they're going to embed a well-being framework into policy making over time. So first of all, they're going to have um, annual published high-level analysis of the well-being dashboard that's been adopted. And there's also going to be incorporation of that into the national budget process. Um, it's going to be referred to in budget documentation, and it's going to be discussed at the National Economic Dialogue as well. Um, there's also going to be more embedding of this approach into expenditure and evaluation policy. There's going to be further research and policy developments um, by other departments, for example, by Deeper. Um, there's going to be empowering of government departments to develop their own well-being approaches as well. And there's going to be clear supporting structures to support this. For example, the Cabinet Committee on Recovery and Investment will be an overarching clearinghouse for this approach. So the wellbeing approach, it's noted in this report, does link into another of other cross-governmental approaches to budgeting that connect to wellbeing frameworks. So these include performance-based budgeting, which focuses very much on outcomes. And that's a, a key issue in a well-being approach that you're looking at outcomes for people from policy, not just the money that is inputted into a policy, but what are the outcomes? And also the well-being approach will link to equality budgeting and green budgeting processes, which are being carried out here to try and have a stronger focus on equality and on an environmental issue. So another piece of work then that NEST hopes to do linking um, to the wellbeing framework would be a stronger focus on inequality in Ireland. So when we did the consultation in 2020 and 21, very strong thing that came out was that there was a, a desire to focus more on inequality in Ireland through a wellbeing framework. And that's generated by a number of factors like our high degree of market income inequality in Ireland, our 
rate of wealth inequality, which is twice as high as income inequality. Um, the poverty rate of several groups in 20 years ago, the unemployed lone parents and those with a disability were most likely to be affected by consistent poverty. And that's still the same today. And the strong thing that came up in that consultation was the unequal access to affordable, reliable services. So in our work, we looked at how other countries had addressed inequalities, for example, child poverty using well-being frameworks. So in Scotland, part of their national performance framework, one of the outcomes is to reduce poverty. So they have looked at child poverty in particular and passed legislation on this. So, for example, it requires actions on specific groups affected by child poverty, like children in lone parent families. It also requires action not just on income, but also on education, housing, childcare and health. So that would be very typical of the broad approach taken by well-being approaches. And also it requires that individuals affected by poverty, as well as their representative groups, must be consulted on delivery plans for meeting child poverty targets. So that, again, is very typical of well-being approach, you know, that you go out and consult and dialogue with groups affected. In New Zealand, the approach they've taken is that the budget must outline how it will reduce child poverty. And they have a number of new um, actions to reduce child poverty, like a tax credit for the first year of a child's life, more paid parental leave, increased accommodation supplements, winter energy payments, and an innovative programme whereby schools in low-income areas don't ask parents for voluntary donations, but instead those schools will get $150 per student per year. And really the approach there was saying, if we look at poverty in a kind of broader way, we see that there's a range of reasons why families with children have lower income. So this tries to you know, reduce their spending on um, housing, reduce their spending on energy, reduce their spending on education, and so have more disposable income in the household to help combat child poverty. So where to next? NESC wants to see optimizing of our consultation processes to help up build up more dialogue um, and consultation in the wellbeing approach. So the Bob F consultation uh, structures are a very good example there of what we can do. We want to see uh, more data and evidence developed, and there are commitments from the CSO to do that. We want to see more work at integrating wellbeing frameworks into the policy system, for example, deepening um, its application in the budget process, and then maybe thinking about how is that monitored in future? Is there a role maybe for our Auditor General, for our Parliament there? It'd be great to see um, improved governance of the wellbeing framework with maybe more um, involvement of those bodies. And there's also an opportunity to link wellbeing frameworks in North and South of Ireland uh, through a shared Ireland approach. So just uh, some interesting issues to bear in mind that came up in our research and probably will be referred to today. So for example, what's the best balance between focusing on outcomes and generating a vision for wellbeing? And also, how much should wellbeing approaches try and impact across all policy areas, or should they have a stronger focus on one or two key, key issues like child poverty? So for more in NESC's wellbeing work, we have a link here as well, or just go to our NESC uh, wellbeing or publications page. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you have any ideas for conversations you'd like us to have, topics you'd like us to discuss, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your thoughts. Till next time, stay safe.